Yeah, yeah. Ball so hard, you better believe me, it's scary. It's basketball, let the bar with Calvin and Barry. So put a tip in the jar, cause these dudes can really fill it up. Whether it's buckets you need enough just a beer in a cup. We're here for fresh conversations, got some delicious libations. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notifications. My boys, got you covered like you being guarded by Peyton. From the glove to the claw, and everyone else in between. Calvin and Barry got everything that you need. So sit back, relax, because we're starting the show. It's basketball at the bar, grab your drinks and let's go. Yeah, yeah. Grab a drink and let's go. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notification. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notification. Let's get it. What up, ballers? Welcome to Basketball at the Bar. Join us live every weekday for the best NBA podcast here on YouTube, where the takes are hot and the drinks are cold. There's no dress code. And you can take us wherever you go. So pull up a stool, drop a like, and don't forget to subscribe. This is Basketball at the Bar. Grab your drinks and let's go. Calvin, it's Friday. It's Aloha Friday. Happy Aloha Friday. Got your Aloha shirt on. I'm rocking a LeBron James at the beach uh, shirt. So we'll consider that Aloha Friday. Uh, Friday came pretty fast this week. I hope you guys are all enjoying your week. Uh, in a week of exciting NBA basketball. But, Calvin, it's almost the weekend. It's the end of the weekend for me. I go back to work tomorrow, so <laughs> it's it's Sunday for me. It's your Sunday. It's my Friday. Uh, I guess it's my Friday. I'm leaving for California tomorrow <laughs> and taking a week off. So I will still be here on the show. It will be mobile. Uh, but I don't know what that's considered for me. But anyways, happy Friday. Hopefully you guys are enjoying your day so far. We got a full show for you today. We're going to talk about some injury updates. Uh, we're going to talk about Luka Doncic and uh, a rumor that he was drinking beer prior to game one. Uh, we're going to touch on the Lakers head coaching search. We're going to recap yesterday's game. We're going to give some previews of today's game. And then we're going to talk about what we are looking forward to this weekend as far as the NBA playoffs go. And uh, then we're going to finish the show, as always, with Q&A. All right, Calvin, uh, we might as well jump right into it here and get started. So uh, what do you got for me as far as injury updates? Well, for the first time, maybe this entire postseason, I, I don't have any injury updates for you. Okay. Marcus Smart and Al Horford are no longer listed on the injury injury report for Boston, and nothing has changed in any of the other three teams' injury reports. I have some injury updates, but I think I'm going to hold them off until weekend preview because it affects the weekend games, not so much today's game. Um, but I was re-watching uh, the Warriors' Game 1 victory over the Mavericks last night, and I heard Kevin Harlan talking about how Luca had been up all night sick, and maybe he was sick, but he was playing through it in the game. Then yesterday I saw a, a video posted of him drinking beer at a bar in the Bay Area. Um, it, there was a funny caption underneath it. It said, "It." I would have thought that it was maybe a lookalike, except for Boban gave him away. Boban doesn't have many lookalikes. And he true. was clearly sitting right across from Luca in that situation. Well, what's your take on this? Um, my take is it's probably being blown out of proportion. I, 
don't think that Luca is the first player to have a beer before a game. I don't think he's going to be the last player either. Um, certainly if he had five or six beers before the game, then, and he played the way that he did, then you would start to think, maybe that's a problem. Um, but we don't know that to be true. We don't know how many beers he had. Yeah. And so I, I think it's probably a a big, me being made a bigger deal than it really should be. However, the other thing is, if he really was sick and he's going out and drinking a beer before a game, I might, if I'm the Dallas Mavericks, go to him and say, hey, man, that might not be the best idea for you, you know? Maybe it made you feel better in the short term, but we really need you <laughs> in this series to be at, at your best possible um, ability, you know, on the court. So that's the yeah. only thing that I yeah. could really see as being a problem here. Techno Peasant says it was clearly a Pilsner, uh, <laughs> which is a very important thing to take note here. Uh, for me, it's like, how do you know this was before the game, right? Like, maybe the person that took the video says it was, but it doesn't mean it was. The thing that I find interesting, and before I jump into this real quick, the only reason we're talking about this is because Luca played bad, according to Luca's standards, right? If if he would have had 40 points or if the Mavericks would have won the game, nobody would have been talking about any of this stuff. Yeah, We've seen in the past where people have had flu games, uh, and they played well. We've seen uh, players get poisoned, uh, food poisoning from other fan bases. They were on the road. They were in uh, San Francisco. They were out and about. The thing that's really interesting for me is the fact that they said he was up sick all night and then spotted drinking the next day before the game. And I'm just, I'm not a detective, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. And... I'm thinking, what if the drinking was the day before and then he was up all night sick? Does that yeah, make more sense? That's a That would be bad. But does I, that make more sense than being up all night sick and then going I, and I drinking beer it, before a game? I don't know if it makes more sense. Like, you've never been out all night drinking woke up feeling pretty sick the next morning and someone was like here have a beer it might make you feel better oh so you're saying he's been double drinking before i mean i don't know okay i I don't know that that's the whole point i think of this story is that people you see him with one beer in his hand before a game yep and there are a million different ways that that can be interpreted and then you throw in the fact that he was sick according to kevin harlan who says his he has two sources and neither of them are from either the Warriors or Mavericks organization. It just it sounds like a whole people are are fishing for something that's not maybe not there. Yeah, know? I could see that. And you know, we live here in Hawaii where drinking at noon is acceptable. Uh people do it all the time. Calvin, in Europe, I think drinking at noon exactly, is acceptable. Exactly. That's too. that's kind of where I was getting to is Calvin, you know, serves people all day long that are drinking early. Um and in Europe, it is more accepted than it is here in the United States. Uh, you know, if you're in California drinking at noon, it's people kind of look at you kind of funny. Uh, other states, stuff like that. But he is from Europe where it is more acceptable. And, uh, you know, the biggest game of his career, maybe he had some butterflies. Maybe this was his reason to unwind or to loosen up or whatever. What were your thoughts on his teammates sitting with him there at the table? Because we know Bobon's not playing. 
<laughs> so he's sitting there. Yeah. I didn't see him drinking a beer, which maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But uh, what are your thoughts on them kind of encouraging it or just being around it while he's partaking in something that the team could potentially find uh, not good? <laughs> well, his teammates are not American either, right? Boban is yeah. is from Europe. Yeah. Um, so to that, just that fact alone leads me to believe that it's not that big of a deal for them. I, I mean, if they were if they were going to be there hanging out with him, they clearly don't think. It didn't seem like they were trying to talk him out of it, right? Yeah. Like, come on, Luca, you got a game in a couple hours. We really need you. You should probably not have that beer. What that, if it was did, like a Bud Zero or something? What if it maybe was it was. Zero? Maybe it was a Heineken Zero. Maybe yeah. it was any. You know, it could have been a, a million things. Again, I think we're looking for something that might not be there. Real quick, before we move on here, if you're the head coach or or you're the Mavericks, would you be more upset that he drank enough the day before to be sick or be up all night sick, or would you be more upset that he's drinking a beer before a game? I, I would definitely be more upset if he drank so much that he was physically sick. Okay. Because drinking a beer before a game, you know, you can have if you if it's just one beer, that's yeah. n- not going to have too much of an effect. On I it. mean, Stephen Jackson drank hi- uh, what was it Hennessy at halftime, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, we know how that ended. Right. For them, I'm sure he didn't do that when he was with Golden State, but uh, interesting situation. This is kind of where. Cultures clash, rules clash, uh, you know, all these things where it's like in Europe, maybe it's seen as okay. Uh, maybe here it's seen as not okay. And it, it's kind of a weird blend together, right? But uh, I think the important point here is that everybody's different. Everyone prepares for games differently. Uh, Luka Doncic has had an amazing NBA career so far, and it's pretty short relatively. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and if this was a serious problem like this was something that he did on a regular basis yeah we probably would have seen more photos of him out having beers before games right we know jason kidd likes to drink some beers i think (laughs) uh, i remember him getting a dui a few years ago so uh you know maybe he could be an alibi i don't know we're looking too much into it. it's just interesting for sure uh to talk about it i'm not gonna lie i've had a beer before i've played a basketball game before did it help me? Probably not. <laughs> Slightly different situation. Probably but not. Yeah. But uh, all right, let's move on here. Uh, <laughs> sorry for all the beer talk. <laughs> we love beer. We love talking about beer here on the show. And it's just interesting, like I said, that he didn't play that well because if he would have had 40 points or the Mavericks won this game, we probably would have been talking about it, but nobody else would have been talking about it. And uh, we all would have been like, wow, we should have a beer before every game. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. so it's it's funny. All right, so next up we have the Lakers have narrowed, or at least they're attempting to narrow their head coaching candidate uh, candidates down. We have three finalists at the moment, Darvin Ham, Terry Stotts, and Kenny Atkinson. Originally we thought they were going to potentially wait till the end of the year or the end of the season to see if anybody else gets fired. Uh, I heard some rumors that they might be interested in a guy like Doc Rivers, uh, stuff like that. Two of these guys were head coaching targets for the Sacramento Kings. They did not progress in their interviews, whether it's uh, because of the Kings or because of these coaches. I like all three of these guys, Calvin. 
Uh, what What are your thoughts on this Lakers head coaching search? This is a good list. It's also bad news for Mark Jackson. Yeah. That, that dude is not going to get an, a head coaching job once again in the NBA. But I, I like all three of these candidates. It seems like the Lakers are going to end up with a, a solid head coach. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, you have a favorite here? I mean, I'm still a, a big Kenny Atkinson fan. I, I think the dude is an excellent head coach, an excellent uh, player developer, uh, has a really good eye for talent, seems like a, a player's coach. Guys really enjoy playing for him. Um, and I like Darvin Ham a lot. I think he's going to get a good – he will eventually get his shot in the league and – uh, he certainly comes from a good background in terms of coaching pedigree. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Terry Stotts, I think people kind of soured on him towards the end of his time in Portland, but he did an amazing job with a team that had definitely had talent, but it's not like they were, um, y- you know, roster-wise should have been considered in the top four teams of the West for yeah. his entire tenure. Yet he had him in the playoffs every year and took him to the Western Conference Finals. So, it's a solid list, very solid list. Yeah, I don't think they can go wrong with uh, any of these three candidates. Bad news for the Kings, good news for the Lakers. Uh, the What do they say? The rich keep getting richer. All right, moving on. Let's talk about Thursday's game. Uh, I'm just going to put it out here that I was wrong. I chose the Heat to win this game. And, uh, Calvin, I believe you chose the Celtics. I believe I did. Celtics win 127-102 in Miami. They officially tie the series 1-1, and they steal home court. Next game is Sunday in, or no, actually, sorry, Saturday in Boston. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw Marcus Smart return to this game. We saw Al Horford return to this game. They both played pretty well, uh, but Marcus Smart played exceptionally well. 24 points for him. Nine rebounds, 12 assists, three steals, a block, 27 points for Jason Tatum in this game, 10 for Al Horford, and 24 for Jalen Brown, and uh, 19 off the bench for Grant Williams, 10 off the bench for Peyton Pritchard. The Miami Heat, outside of Jimmy Butler, 29 points for him, six rebounds, three assists, a steal, did not play exceptionally well. Only five points for P.J. Tucker. We saw him limping in this game. Uh, Bam Adebayo, another uh, offensively underwhelming performance. Nine points, or sorry, six points, nine rebounds, two assists, no steals, no blocks. 14 points for Gabe Vincent. And then 11 off the bench for Tyler Hero and 14 off the bench for Victor Oladipo. Calvin, this game reminded me of the Warriors uh, game the night before where one team shot well and the other team shot horrendous. The Heat shot 29% from three-point range in this game, only 44% from the field. They got dominated in basically uh, almost every category here, assists, steals, blocks, turnovers, and they had a 70-point first half. What was the difference you saw in this Celtics team as opposed to game one? Well, the the simple answer is they're – defensive intensity was much much better I mean obviously if you get Smart and Horford back that that starting five is really long really athletic able to switch a lot even the the post players Williams and Horford have shown that they can cover guys on the perimeter for stretches at a time 
Um, and Marcus Smart just is a such a huge part of what this team does, both on offense and on defense. I thought the Celtics made a great adjustments coming into this game. We talked a lot about how – I mean, they basically only had one bad quarter in game one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other three quarters, they either won or were pretty much even with Miami. So th- they would have won that game if they would have just taken better care of the basketball. That was the biggest adjustment I thought they made in game two, particularly Jason Tatum. He was not holding on to the ball anywhere near as long. He knew the double team was coming. He mm-hmm. was immediately getting rid of it. Yes, having Marcus Smart out there because he's a primary ball handler helps with that too. But I thought Jason Tatum was much more aware of what Miami's defense was trying to do. They were moving the ball a lot quicker. They got Jalen Brown going early offensively. He was knocking down threes. Um, And then obviously all of that, again, permeates throughout the rest of the team. Grant Williams gets some easy open shots. Peyton Pritchard gets some easy open shots. Those guys aren't, they're in their comfort zone. They're not being asked to do anything that they wouldn't normally be doing. Um, so great adjustments from Boston in that game. Taking care of the ball, they went from 16 turnovers to nine turnovers in game two. And uh, they got the defensive player of the year back, and they took it to Miami for sure. Yeah, they definitely did. What's up, Fred? Good to see you here. I hope you are starting to feel a little bit better uh, because, you know, it, it's rough, man. But thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Ivan, good to see you here uh, as well. Yeah, I thought you made a great point in the fact that although Miami did win game one, they were down at halftime in that game, and they just had an exceptional third quarter. Uh, I might as well let it out now. Kyle Lowry and P.J. Tucker are both questionable for game three this weekend, uh, so we'll see what happens there. But having Marcus Smart back and Al Horford was a huge boost for the Boston Celtics. I'm feeling pretty good if I'm Boston. You know, we split the series, exactly what we're supposed to do. We're healthy. We're heading back home. Uh, we didn't get completely blown out in game one. We we were in it, like you said, three out of the four quarters, and that was without our defensive player of the year and Al Horford. Uh, so they must be feeling pretty good going into game three. We did see Miami in the last series play exceptionally well the first two games and then kind of drop down for a couple games and then come back up and finish strong. They're going to need to do whatever they did to help turn it around last series here. I still have them winning this series, but it just got a lot tougher. This is a great Boston Celtics team, uh, great defense, and the game is heading or the series is heading back to Boston for two more games here. Miami needs to be worried and concerned that they don't end up coming back to Miami for a closeout game down 3-1. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They, they've got to – they cannot afford to lose both games in Boston. Yeah. That would be – that would put them clearly in a very huge hole. And on the same on the same note there, you win one of those games in Boston and you're right back in it. You yep. got home court advantage again yep. and, and you're cruising. So it, it's it's a tight series, two great teams uh going going at it here. Um I expected Jason Tatum to have over thirty points in this game. That was one of my keys to victory for them. Uh but I didn't expect Marcus Smart having twenty four points, uh and I didn't expect Miami Heat to shoot as horribly as they did. Jimmy Butler struggled from three-point range all season long, one for three in this game. Uh, Max Struess, two for seven, uh, only six points for him. 
he has been incredible for them uh, in stretches this year and during this playoff run. Uh, guys like Tyler Hero, 0 for 3 from three-point range. Victor Oladipo, 1 for 5. Um, and Duncan Robinson, 0 for 4. So I think it's pretty clear here that Miami needs to make some shots if they're going to have a chance in Game 3. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned Max Struess, him <clears throat> and Gabe Vincent. They they combined for, I think, 28 points in game one. Um, that was limiting them in game two was a huge, huge difference here. And for Miami, they've got to find a way to get Bam out of bio going on offense. Yeah, He can't be – right now their offense is basically give the ball to Jimmy Butler, see what he can do one-on-one, -on -one, and if he can't end up getting a bucket, uh, he ends up kicking it out to one of these guys, Hero, Struess, Gabe Vincent for a three – but there's not a lot of movement right now. I, I really believe that they need to be using Bam Adebayo more as like a point forward, almost the way the Nuggets use Jokic. Get him the ball in the middle of the court, around the free throw line. Um, yes, Robert Williams and Al Horford are great defenders, but I'm giving the advantage to a great playmaking center like Bam to be able to get by them, get to the basket, get to the mm -hmm. free throw line. And then once you get the ball in the middle of the court, that helps collapse that defense which makes it easier to kick out for open threes. So I, I really believe that they need to, to use him and initiate offense more with him in the game as opposed to just relying on Jimmy Butler to be amazing. Definitely. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And we did see a little bit of that early on in game two, and Miami was just missing so many shots in that first quarter. They were getting two, three, four offensive rebounds, missing another shot. Uh, so really tough go for them. I do expect them to bounce back and shoot much better in game three. Uh, but like I said, Boston's healthy now. Uh, Marcus Smart did not seem to be affected by that foot at all. No, he did not. In this game. Uh, Even though he appeared to be limping into the arena. Yeah. It's all, it's maybe, all a play, man. Maybe it was man. just a, for show. I don't know. It's all a play. I wonder if he was drinking beers before the game because maybe. that can uh, help with the pain in your foot. Yes, it can. Or um, Hennessy. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I expect Boston to be uh, full force in Game 3 in Boston. The crowd's going to be into it. It's going to be a tough tough atmosphere for them. Um, good series, Calvin. We're, we're lucky as NBA fans. I, I think, uh, you know, assuming Dallas can win a game here coming up, I think both of these are going to end up being great series. I got to ask you again, since we talked about it a few days ago, who is your Eastern Conference Finals MVP at this point? <laughs> Man, that's tough. I mean, after game one, I think it was obviously Jimmy Butler. He probably still has the edge to me, but don't count out Marcus Smart anymore. If that if he's going to play like that, yep. a dude that gets every loose ball and is going to be around double-digit assists and 20 points, like I don't expect him to put up those exact same numbers in every game. Um, but I think Miami is, it really has their hands full guarding him yeah, uh, because clearly they are going to use their best defenders on Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. So that means you're having to have guys like Struess or Gabe Vincent now guard Marcus Smart, and he's got a big advantage in that matchup. Oh, definitely. If he's able to keep knocking down outside shots, you know, I wouldn't count him out for Eastern Conference Finals MVP. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I think one of the things that we've talked about all along with Jimmy Butler 
and and Marcus Smart and Draymond Green is these guys are are that dog, right? They're they're the killer instinct guy that's gonna work hard. He's gonna bully other people, other players. Jimmy Butler's not bullying Marcus Smart. I saw a stat today saying Marcus Smart, when def, uh, defending Max Struess in that game, gave up zero points. Zero points to Gabe Vincent. Uh, only ten points to Jimmy Butler. Great lockdown defender, and yeah, Butler's not going to be able to bully him to get his buckets. He did have 29 points in this game and had an incredible game one, but things are getting tougher for Jimmy Butler. And I'm just going to go back to what I was saying. Some of these guys got to make shots and make it easier on him. Yeah, for sure. That that is definitely part of it. Um, And part of it is the way that Boston is defending them. They're not being able to get as easy, some easy shots off um, like they did in game one, you know, having the defensive player of the year out there, that helps every other player on your team not have to exert quite as much energy defensively, especially your stars, yep. you know, so that then they have more fresh legs in the fourth quarter and those shots aren't quite as short. They're, they're mm-hmm. able to knock them down. So I mentioned game three is on Saturday in Boston. What are you looking forward in this game? What does Miami need to do to win this game? And what does Boston need to do to win this game? Well, Boston needs to stick with the same recipe they've had all really since January. I mean, they, they've played incredible lockdown defense, uh, and they've knocked down outside shots. If They hit 23s again in this game, too. If they are firing on all cylinders defensively and knocking down threes, they're almost impossible to beat. Um, for Miami, again, it, it's not reinventing the wheel. What got them here was great outside shooting, good team defense, um, and Jimmy Butler being Jimmy Butler. The, the dude is just incredible to me about how he is in the exact right spot on every play, both offensively and defensively. Even when he doesn't have the ball, he seems to be miraculously in the right spot for the offensive rebound mm-hmm. every time. Um, but I really do think they need to find a way to get Bam out of bio going offensively. He's got a, he averaged almost 20 points a game during the regular season. They need more out of him if they're going to beat Definitely. Boston offensively. Um, and then, yeah, it, from there, it's going to be finding ways to create open shots for these guys like Hero and Struess, Gabe Vincent. They did it in game one. Yes, that was without Smart, but it, they're definitely capable of doing it uh, moving forward in this series. I mentioned that, uh, you know, P.J. Tucker and Kyle Lowry are both questionable for Game 3. We could see them come back. We saw Kyle Lowry attempt to come back last round. He was definitely hampered. If he comes back healthy and both of these teams are at full strength, who's the better team here? Boston is the better team, I believe, when they're at full strength. And they showed why in this game, too. They're bigger, longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- their ability to cover defensively as a team and individually with that starting five I think is what separates them from Miami in this series both teams shoot it really well Uh, both teams have stars that they go to in big moments and and all that stuff matters but when it comes down to it the 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 unity and the the defensive cohesion that Boston has with this starting five the fact that they're a little bit bigger you know Miami's guards are Aside from Jimmy Butler, who you could call a forward, they're they're pretty small. Uh, yeah. That starting backcourt of Struess and Vincent is really small. Hero is not the biggest guard either. Oladipo, not the biggest guard. Um, so Boston has an advantage with their size and physicality defensively. Who do you like on game three? 
I like Boston. You like Boston? I, I think Boston – there was a, a – Jalen Rose, I think, after the game was said he was talking to a former Celtic player. Okay. Uh, and he used the term, that's that beatdown is going to leave a mark. Mm. I think it does. I, I really think that Boston took control of this series both physically and mentally. Now they're going back home. They're coming off a really good shooting game. They usually shoot – really well at home too mm-hmm. so i think boston wins game three as well interesting okay you guys heard it here first all right let's uh let's jump into today's game uh we have game two the warriors are currently up 1-0 in this series it is in golden state no word on whether luka Doncic is out drinking right now or <laughs> not uh but it's game two i think the warriors are favored by six points in this game in espn is predicting them. They're giving them a 73.2% chance to win this game. The injury report is empty. What are your thoughts on today's game? Um, I see a lot of the same game. I think Luka will be better. Uh, but again, I think the Warriors have figured out not how to stop him necessarily, but how to limit him, how to force him into being more of a jump shooter than to being a guy that attacks the rim, which is a really, really key thing mm-hmm. when you're defending Luka Doncic. Um, I like what the Warriors are doing offensively as well. I think the Warriors will shoot better from outside than they did in game one. So I, I think the Warriors win again here at home. Okay. Over, under, I think is 214 and a half. What do you like, over or under? I'd take the over in this one. Again, I think Luca will will play better. Um, he'll be he'll shoot it a little bit better, and I think the Warriors shoot it better too. So that means more points. Yeah, it's always tough choosing against the Golden State Warriors, especially when they're playing at home. Um, but I'm going to take the Mavericks in this game. Uh, I think more I've of it is against a, the Mavericks in eight consecutive games. Now I'm yeah. not going to change my stance today. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's I 100% think the Mavericks are going to win this game or more of I want the Mavericks to win this game. Uh, But I think Luka Doncic is going to be his normal self in this game. And I just think the Mavericks are going to shoot better. Uh, I think they're going to play better defense in this game. I expect it to be much closer uh, than game one. At least I hope so. I do think it will be a closer game. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be who's able to – make plays with two minutes left in the game. Uh, And for some reason, I got a feeling Dallas Mavericks win this game. I don't know why. Maybe it's uh, after watching what Boston did to bounce back against Miami in game two on the road. Maybe the Mavericks could do something similar to that. Uh, Maybe Golden State's celebrating a little early here, you know, thinking they won. I don't think they're going to be. They won big and and they're going to the finals. I think this team's too experienced for that. Who knows? I mean, we just talked about all the four, uh, you know, rookies that are on this team, and and we can uh, dive into that a little bit here. Um, But I, I got a good feeling about Dallas today. Okay. Keep your eye on Andrew Wiggins again. Yeah. 17 points or more. That's the, the threshold. If he gets there, Warriors win. Speaking of Andrew Wiggins, uh, I know you heard a rumor this morning about the Warriors potentially being interested in trading Andrew Wiggins this offseason to clear up some uh, salary cap space. Uh, we went and looked over the whole team here in the roster uh, as far as like salaries go before the show started, but just to fill you guys all in, uh, next year, Steph Curry's making $48 million. He's got four years, or sorry, three years left after that. 
each one of those is incredible. 42 million, 45 million, or sorry, 55 million, 52 million, 59 million. Then you got Clay Thompson at 40 million next season. He's got a, he's 43 million the season after that. Andrew Wiggins is entering the last year of his contract at $33.6 million. Uh, part of this could be uh, it's the last year. Do we lose him for nothing? Do we trade him to get value? Or is it, are we going to have the money to repay this guy because he's only 27 years old? He's played exceptionally well on the Warriors. If they win the championship this season, uh, it's probably going to bring some more clarity to this situation. We've seen the Warriors uh, been willing to go way over the salary cap in the past to to keep a championship roster intact. Uh, then you got Draymond Green at $25 million. He's got a player option for 27 the year after that. And then the only other four players you have under contract next season are all on the rookie scale contract. James Wiseman's entering year three of his deal. Kaminga is year number two. Moody is year number two. And Jordan Poole, I think, is entering year four uh, on his rookie deal. What are your thoughts about these Wiggins trade rumors? Well, it's not the first time that we've heard this, first of all. Um, And the Warriors have been a really interesting team in terms of what they could potentially do in the offseason all year long um, because as they started off this year playing so well, it it became the narrative like, well, they're playing with house money now, right? Because they've got all these young guys up and coming, They've got all their stars returning, coming back from injury. They, they're they looking good to playing together as well. Um, so the, the Andrew Wiggins thing is has been a kind of an ongoing topic of conversation all year long. The, the idea or the thought process is getting him off their books now creates enough cap room for them to, A, keep the band together and – allows them a little bit of flexibility if they want to, say, re-sign Jordan Poole next year after his fourth season is over. He's probably going to command a lot of money, so that that would be basically a trade out, right? Like Andrew Wiggins is out, Jordan Poole is in. Um, I think the Warriors definitely are going to have to do something if they are trying to play the long game here in in terms of being competitive or competing for championships for years and years and years to come they can't even though they've been they have shown a willingness to pay a lot of money and be over the the cap and pay deep into the luxury tax every owner has a breaking point when it Mm -hmm. comes to that right there has to be a a point where they say enough is enough we can't keep doing this this might be the off season for that yeah uh, i personally think the warriors should not move on from andrew wiggins at this point I see Andrew Wiggins as as basically the bridge from the youth to the veterans on this squad. You have your main three in Curry, Thompson, and Draymond Green. They're all 32 to 34 years of age. Um, And then you got Wiggins at 27. And then your next four players are all 22, 21, 19, 19. So I see Wiggins as kind of that bridge. But I think there's a couple other guys here uh, that you could throw out there that are interesting and could uh, potentially impact this situation. One of them is Kavon Looney, who's going to be a free agent at the end of this season. Uh, I think they do re-sign him. Uh, Andre Iguodala, what's going to happen with him? 
He's 38 now. If he does decide to come back, I don't expect them to pay him a ton of money, maybe a veteran's minimum, or he comes back, uh, you know, as, as a coach or assistant coach or something like that. As far as the contract extension for Andrew Wiggins, the first year that he would be pay, being paid on his new contract would be 2023, 2024. And that kind of aligns right in with that Draymond Green player option. Draymond Green's got a $27.5 million player option that season. And honestly, I expect him to opt out of that. Um, we've seen in the past that players have chosen uh, long-term financial security over uh, one quick payday. I think Draymond Green has made plenty of money on this team, uh, and I think he wants to continue to compete for championships, and I don't see him going anywhere. So I could potentially see him opting out of that last year and maybe signing in for three or f possibly four more years at you know $15 million a season, something like that, which would allow the Warriors to have a little bit more room uh, to re-sign Wiggins. Uh, Jordan Poole will also be due for a contract extension that year as well. Because these guys were all drafted, other than Wiggins, because these guys were drafted on the Warriors, they can go above and beyond. They have the bird rights. They can go into the luxury to pay these guys. You're right. Every owner does have a breaking point. And it'll be interesting to see if the Warriors finally reach that breaking point because they've had a huge salary uh, for the past five years or so. Yeah. Um, and it, it, not every team is committing over $90 million to two guys. Yep. Like that's, that's another factor that involves 90. how much money do you want to spend here? Yeah. In 2023, it's, it's $95 million. Yeah. And then you throw in Draymond green in there. If he does opt in, uh, that right there is 125. That's over the salary cap. Mm -hmm. Wiggins, what's he's go going to expect? He's been playing incredibly well. If they win the title this year, I think he's going to be a big part of that. Right. And then he has a whole nother year to, like, prove his worth to the Warriors before yeah. he re-signs. And, and that's an interesting point, right? Like, I get what you're saying about Andrew Wiggins still being young. He's improved a lot with this team. Um, so, yeah, that makes a lot of sense in terms of, like, why would you want to get rid of this guy? He's, yep. he's playing great defensively, finally made an all-star team. But the other side of that coin is, okay, he's 27 years old. How much better do you think he's actually going to get? So why not try to maximize his value right now and trade him at his peak, so to speak? For like a Harrison Barnes or something? Maybe. I, I think Rudy Gobert was probably the first option I was going to look at, but which I know that doesn't work just by itself. Yeah. But still, I mean, there's been a lot of rumors linking Rudy Gobert to the Warriors, them being interested in him perhaps this offseason. But I'm just using that as an example. It, it's that how to juggle that, uh, that philosophy, right, of like, do we trade this guy now when we could maximize his value? How much better do we think he could actually get for us? Is it, is it someone that, that we really feel comfortable giving potentially a max contract to, mm -hmm. um, you know, for the future? to bridge the gap, like you said, between the, the veterans and the young guys. It's an interesting dilemma to have. Yeah, I, I think if the Warriors win the championship this season, that really helps Andrew Wiggins' case of remaining on this roster. We barely touched on James Wiseman, but for, for me, he is one of the biggest question marks on this team, right? Like, the dude has barely played in two seasons. He's set for 9.6 uh, next season and then 12 million the year after that, 
I might consider keeping a guy like Wiggins and moving on from a guy like Wiseman. Maybe Wiseman can bring in some more value, uh, other draft picks, stuff like that. But, it, yeah, it's a constant struggle, right? Of I like, don't see how you're going to get more value for James Wiseman than you are for Andrew Wiggins. Well, I'm just saying as far as, like, what they bring to the team, right? Like, uh, Wiseman has had zero impact on the Warriors' season yeah. this year. So whatever you get for him is a, is a net positive for the Warriors versus Andrew Wiggins has had an impact on the Warriors are you able to trade him for something that has a greater impact on the Warriors? I'm not so sure. Um, but it's a constant struggle between veterans, win-now players, and young guys, right? And trying to to keep that going. It's not very often that you have a 22-year-old and a guy like Jordan Poole that's playing exceptionally well in the playoffs. Um I expect him to stay. Moses Moody, I said, is only 19. Kaminga is only 19. And then Wiseman's only 21. They haven't even really used many of these guys yet, which True. is the scary part about it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens this year and what happens this offseason. But if, if I'm the Warriors, I'm doing everything I can to hold on to Wiggins at this point. Yeah. Yeah, It's it would be hard for me to get rid of him too just because he's played so well. Yeah, the man bun is strong today, I see. Thanks, thanks, Matthew. Thanks, Matthew. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's dive here into the weekend. Uh, you know, we're here live Monday through Friday. We do take a couple days off during the weekend, but we're still watching basketball. We're just not doing the stream. Uh, and next week I will be on the road in California. We will continue to do the stream, same time, so don't worry about that. But we got two games this weekend. Saturday, Miami at Boston. Sunday, Golden State at Dallas. What game are you looking forward to most, Calvin? And uh, I know you said uh, you're expecting Boston to win game three. You expect Golden State to win game three as well? I'm going to take Dallas to win game three. Okay. I'm going against the grain here. Okay. Uh, I, I don't expect this series to be a sweep. Dallas plays like a lot of teams do much, much better at home. They shoot it much, much better at home. So I think they will end up getting that game. I'm more looking forward to the Boston Miami game though. I want to see how uh, Miami responds to a pretty much total beatdown from start to finish at home in game two. I want to see what adjustments they can make now that Marcus smart is back. You know, that's, that's how you win a playoff series. It's, it's making adjustments through this throughout the course of the series mm-hmm. um, that are going to to swing the pendulum back in, in your favor. So uh, Boston really took it to them, and it's going to be very very difficult for them to win that game on the road. I think, but uh, if any team can do it, it's probably going to be the Miami Heat. Yeah, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if Kyle Lowry is able to go and yep. what he Another does. Thing to watch. For this, uh, yeah, for, for sure. the Miami Heat team and PJ Tucker too. If he it can't go, that is perhaps understated or underrated how important he is to this team. He doesn't really score that much, but everything that he does for them—the hustle plays, the rebounding, yep. uh, the defense, the toughness—it's a very, very important factor. As you could see from Marcus Smart. I mean, yes, Smart played a great game stat-wise, too. Mm -hmm. He had a ton of assists, scored a ton of points, shot it really well from three. But just the attitude of the team, you could tell a huge difference from him being out there. The hustle plays, the toughness, 
loose balls, things like that. That's the type of stuff that P.J. Tucker brings to Miami. And he's a free agent, so yeah. he's fighting yeah. for a new contract as well. Uh, okay, so you have basically the next three home teams winning every single game. You have Golden State yes. tonight, Boston tomorrow, and Dallas on Sunday. That is right. Home, home, home. Home, home, home. Okay. That's where the heart is, I guess, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, let's open it up here into Q&A. If you guys have questions, we got answers. Hopefully, you guys are able to watch basketball today. Hopefully, you're able to watch basketball this weekend. Uh, we're getting into the good stuff, guys. One more round left till we're here at the finals. Enjoy it while you can because it'll be gone very, very soon. And then we're talking about the draft. We're talking about free agency mm -hmm. and all this fun stuff. But there's not going we're to be We're talking about the Kings' as assistant coaches. Yeah. As I can see, that's... That's all in the chat here. There's not going to be much basketball to watch during the summertime, so get it while you can. All right, Fred said still under the weather. That's a bummer, man. Uh, it'll get better soon, I, I think so. Seeing how much the Celts and Mavs defense have gotten how much better over this season, I wonder what the buy-in process on defense looks like behind closed doors. Any thoughts on that? How are they getting guys to buy in? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the difference between having a good team in this league and, and having an average or, or bad team, right? Like, we've talked all year long about the Kings being a good offensive team. Not a great or one of the best offensive teams, but a very good one. Um, and their record was horrible this year. Why? Because they couldn't get everybody to buy in and play defense. Yep. So uh, I don't I don't know exactly what that looks like. I mean, I have a picture of what it looks like in my head. I bought into playing defense. I loved playing defense. But you you have to want that. You have to accept that as an individual first, and then you have to accept it on a team level, right? So it, first and foremost, it's got to come from within you. I'm not letting this guy score. Mm -hmm. But then it's more important than that. It's knowing where to be, recovering, helping out your fellow teammate. Um, and that is that requires even more to buy in, right? Um, because it, it's not just based on you. It, now you, you have other people to feel responsible for or to feel like you, you've got their back. Um, and over the course of an 82-game season, those that trust, that relationship is going to be tested a lot, especially if you're losing or if you go through a, a losing streak, something like that. So it, it's... It, it's a very difficult thing, clearly, to get guys to do in the NBA because only a handful of teams play great defense. Yeah, for me, it, it starts with usually a player. Um, Marcus Smart is the guy on the Celtics. Uh, you look at the Miami Heat, it's it's Jimmy Butler. Uh, but there's more than that. The Miami Heat is a, a totally different team because they have the structure, they have the players, they have the front office, all that stuff. If I'm looking at the Dallas Mavericks, that guy is Jason Kidd for me, right? Like Jason Kidd is the one that's getting guys to buy in. Maybe he hasn't had the success that everyone has wanted him to have as far as a head coach in the NBA, but the dude is a, a, a Hall of Fame basketball player, one of the best point guards of all time, won a ring in Dallas, uh, so he does have some clout. He does have uh, leadership ability, and uh, we know that he loved to play defense, so um, I think – 
that you, you got to have some driving force somewhere where that starts for the Kings. I'm not sure if that's deer and Fox, if that's uh, Davion Mitchell, if that's going to start with Mike Brown, uh, it needs to start somewhere. Um, but yeah, yeah. These, these teams are getting good at playing defense, man. We saw offense take over the NBA for a few years and it seems like defense is, is making a little bit of a comeback here. Well, defense all when it comes down to winning a championship and, and, surviving and advancing in the playoffs you you don't get to the nba finals unless you play defense that that's just a fact yeah um you know you people like to talk houston about rockets the, yeah people like to talk about the rule changes and how um they're they're letting guys get away with more defensively maybe that's swinging uh making it swing back to defense a little bit and there's a little bit of truth to that in the regular season but the postseason has always been about defense yep it has been Ivan says Canadian coach Jay Triano is joining Mike Brown's staff and the Kings interviewed Shaden Sharp. Two Canadians in one day. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't have many thoughts on that right now. I mean, I, I don't know much about Coach Triano. Uh, I think they should be interviewing Shaden Sharp. They should be interviewing probably every top 10 draft prospect from here until draft day. So, you know, it makes makes sense. Yeah, so we got uh, Jay Triano and Jordy Fernandez. I'm not sure if Doug Christie's back yet. I, I haven't heard. I, I'd love to see him back, but I, I'm really not sure yet. But I do like the way um, that the coaching staff is, is rounding out. That That's – I like it. I like it. We need defense. Definitely need some defense. Ivan says it's a pretty darn good staff that Brown has put together, hoping they add a few more. I like that they kept Doug. Okay, maybe that's official then. That's cool. And uh, Rico Hines, yeah, I'm a big Rico Hines fan. I really hope they can they can hold on to Rico Hines, especially if they keep this year's draft pick because Rico's been known for uh, developing guys for sure. What's up, Progressive G? Good to see you here. It's all good. We're here. We're in Q&A. If you have any questions, let us know. <laughs> I bet Jason Cook could still find a spot on a roster. Maybe. He's looking pretty old now, man. He's looking pretty old. I haven't seen him uh, seen him play for a while. Yeah, maybe a big three roster. You remember when they were calling him Asen? Asen kid because yeah. he's got no J? He did yeah. develop the J late, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if he's still got it. It seems like Davion gave the Kings a little bit of a defensive culture bump at the end of the season, but it looks like it's difficult for a non-star rookie to make a fasting, oh, a lasting change. Um, I I agree with that and I disagree with that a little bit. It it is more difficult, I think, for one of the guys who's not considered a star on your team or maybe a leader of your team to make that change throughout the course of an entire season. Um, however, I, I also think that guys like that, that play the game that way, Davion, Marcus Smart, um, Udonis Haslam is like a little bit more outspoken maybe than Davion Mitchell, but those guys are not, you know, considered the stars of their team. <clears throat> and yet they certainly for Boston and Miami, those two guys make an enormous amount of difference right i think the difference is the overall team culture 
it, it's much more difficult for one guy to change an entire team's culture, even if they're not a star, even if they are a star, than it is for a team that already has that culture set in place or they've been building it for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the expectation of everybody on that team to come in and follow those rules. And then you still have the enforcers like Haslam and Smart and the coaches too. Like that, It's got to be a mutual relationship. I think all good teams that play really, really good defense and have a great culture in place, they have those enforcers, those leaders on the team that guys listen to. But they also tremendously respect the coaching staff because ultimately the coaching staff is the one that's telling them this is how we're going to play, this is where we're going to be on defense. You've got to accept it from both avenues. Yep. Yep. What's up, Flame Flurry? What up, Mike? Good to see you guys. Yeah, I mean, I think that Davion Mitchell could be that guy for Sacramento, but, you know, to Calvin's point, playing time matters. Uh, Starting the season, he came in as the third-string point guard on the team. Uh, They went through some coaching changes throughout the season, and it's just the fact that it's his first year as a rookie. I think getting comfortable is, is very important. Um, I think a good comparison for Davion Mitchell is a guy like Marcus Smart, right? Because he's not the star on the team. He wasn't even a starter his entire career, but we saw him get comfortable, and then he kind of became that driving force, that guy that would come in there and and commanded your respect, commanded the best out of you, uh, has a great work ethic. I can see that happening in a guy like Davion Mitchell, but it's only his first year. There was a lot of rocky patches there. Uh, as far as like players, teammates, coaching staff, all that. Uh, but I think he can be that guy. He just he needed a year to get comfortable. I, I expect him to to be a lot more vocal in year two. Uh, and combined with the additions like Mike Brown and stuff like that, I, I could see something similar happening in Sacramento. It just doesn't happen right away. It takes it takes time to develop. Yeah, it definitely takes time. And I think he he probably already has had an impact on how the Kings go about business and practice, how they, the, the intensity level they play with defensively um, because that, that stuff is totally contagious. I, I could see it <clears throat> when I played, you know, if I walked into the gym, I was usually that, that guy who would kind of set the tone in practice. And if I wasn't feeling it that day, or if I came in and I just kind of wanted to have fun with teammates yeah. or whatever, our practice was usually shit. But if I came in with the idea of not, nah, this is, we're going to work today and I'm going to shut people down mm-hmm. right from the beginning. Um, th- it was a totally different attitude. Everybody worked a lot harder. Davion is definitely that guy. I mean, you've already yep. heard people say that, how they notice how hard he works. Practices are different with him in there. Um, so that stuff definitely does have an effect, but it's like we were just talking about a second ago for one person to, to change the entire organization's culture right from the beginning as a rookie that's a really really difficult thing to do it that takes a lot of time and it takes lots of people not just one person to buy into that and there's like a seniority thing on teams too right like you come in you're the new guy you're the new guy and you're the youngest guy or one of the youngest guys there like not everyone's gonna listen to you it takes some time but you know let's say the kings draft a guard here pick number four he goes into training camp you're looking up to Davion because Davion's already been on the squad. He's going to be contagious. He's going to push you. He's going to make you work harder. Uh, so it, it does take some time to get, I guess, your stripes. And then people start to listen to you. People start to trust you, stuff like that. 
Uh, as weird as this may sound, I think that getting Terrence Davis back is going to help that as well because Terrence Davis is he's not as good as some of these other guys, but he's got the drive, and he's just the guy that like feels like he never really gives up, which is all you can ask for as far as starting starting your defensive potential is having that attitude of like I'm never giving up, I'm not behind, uh, I want to get it, I want to get back, I'm not giving up. So I think having him back, I think Davion Mitchell being comfortable going into a, a training camp with a coaching staff that you at least feel is going to be there for the next few years, uh, he's going to have a much bigger stamp on the team this year or, yeah. or yeah. next year. I, yeah, I agree with that. Or Definitely. next year. Mike said he's going to the game tonight. Yeah, make sure you guys all look for Mike on TV. And uh, he said he's bringing Gorilla Glue. Yep. So that's exciting. Barry, do you remember who your best game was against in high school? Uh, I did not play <laughs> high school basketball. I wish I did. Uh, I was playing soccer, and then I got a job, and I graduated from high school early, so I started college early. Uh, but uh, I wish I did. Calvin, you can answer that question. Um, Man, that's tough, actually, for me to answer because – my, I had some great statistical games. I had 30-point games. Um, I had a few 20-point games. But the game that's that I will remember for the rest of my life, I think I only scored nine points or something. It was senior night. Uh, we were playing at home against Armio High School. We needed to win the game to make the playoffs. I hadn't beaten Armio in my entire high school career up until that point. They were a juggernaut of a team. Um, and it was a close game the whole way. I ended up hitting a three to tie the game with like 10 seconds left or something. I think it was 51 all. Okay. Um, and we took a timeout and the, the crowd was packed that night. I mean, our gym was big in high school. I think we could hold over 2000 people and, uh, I will never forget it. The entire crowd started chanting my name. We ended up going to overtime. We won the game in overtime. Uh, it was like a, you know, one of those moments where you see the the whole crowd rush the court. Uh, it was a really really cool experience, and that to be my last, the last game I played at Davis High School uh, was pretty special. Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds really cool. Techno Peasant says, speaking of Terrence Davis' willingness on defense, do you guys think TD has a good basketball IQ? Um, yeah, I do. I think he he gambles a little bit too much on defense for my personal likes, but he he plays very aggressively, um, and it does it does definitely work for him sometimes. So yeah, I would say he has a good overall basketball IQ. Uh, he definitely doesn't. The shot selection is not nearly as bad as Buddy Heald, so yeah. he gets some points there for sure. I wouldn't say he has a bad basketball IQ. I wouldn't say he has an exceptional uh, basketball IQ. I'd say maybe above average. But for me, the thing with Terrence Davis, which has nothing to do with basketball IQ, is just the effort and the willingness. Yeah, That doesn't take any IQ at all. And that's my favorite aspect about him is the uh, never surrender, never give up. Uh, it's all There's always a chance. And as important as basketball IQ is, um, that ability on defense, I think, is sometimes can be even more important. 
Flame Flurry just met Saboner today. Sabonis? That's cool. Yeah, I seen him at Doco like an hour ago, and he was hella cool. That's awesome. Nice, Calvin man. and I saw him when we were staying uh, right next door uh, in the lobby. We didn't get to talk to him or anything. It was his first day in. He was talking to, like, his agent or something. Um, but I like Sabonis a lot, man. The dude is always smiling. He always seems to be happy in a good mood. Uh, obviously... Uh, sorry, I forgot about your corner three question. I'll get, (laughs) I'll get there in a second, but, uh, I I really do like Sabonis. Um, obviously, you know, we don't see him behind the scenes and people are not always happy. You know, we're all humans. We all go through things, but everything I've seen from him, I like, and, uh, hearing stuff like this, um, that he was really cool to a fan. Like, that's great, man. That's great. Those are the kind of people we want in Sacramento. All right, let me scroll back here. I missed this question. I remember seeing it, and then I just totally went over it. Okay, here you go. Uh, what do you guys think about the corner three, specifically given how easy it is, statistically speaking? Do you guys think that it should be turned into a two, um, or do you think eliminating the corner three creates other problems? We've seen the previews, right, of them, like, just continuing the line and uh, yeah. the, the curve instead of it going straight. It just continues out of bounds. Yep. Uh, yeah, Flame, we are in, in Q&A. Um, <clears throat> so, <laughs> thanks, Progressive G. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't really given too much thought to this idea, to be honest. Like, uh, I'm not really sure what how it would change the game in the long term if you were to take that away or if you were to turn it into a two-point shot instead um it's it's an interesting debate yeah i I don't really have an answer right now actually okay you're gonna that's your homework this weekend calvin is (laughs) is uh think about that and, and see what you like for me the corner three is exciting because like, if you're watching on TV, it looks like there's plenty of room, but there's really not a lot of room in the corner to get that shot off. Uh, so you have to be very adamant about where your feet are, whether you're out of bounds, inbounds, stuff like that. But for me, the biggest thing, and I've been saying this for a while, is the fans and the photographers are way too fucking close to the court. Yeah. And that's the only thing that I really worry about in those corner threes is we've seen guys step on people before. We've seen them... Uh, you know, hit people in the crowd before it only takes one bad step on somebody's foot or on something. And you could potentially be out for a year, uh, or, or the playoff series or whatever game or, or anything that's, that's happening. That's my only real thought on it is that they need to move people back further away. I do like the, yeah, corner I agree three, with that. Um, but it, it's, I'm concerned when I see players that close to people in the crowd, because it just, for me, I'm just like, Oh, is it going to happen? I hope not. Um, that that's my only really thought on it. As far as like the three point percentage of being in the corner. I mean, the corner is an interesting spot where people can hide and, uh, or turn it over or turn it over. Yeah. So we see that happen a lot and we see, yeah, we see guys get double teamed in the corner too. That's, that's tough. Uh, I'm not really sure. I I'm I got some homework to do this weekend as well. It it's just a hard, like I don't know if, 
if there's a right answer necessarily. There's it, not. It's a. It's hard to imagine the effect it would have on the game if you were to to say that that's not a three point shot anymore, or if you you know extend the line out and cut off basically the corner three and and everything is a two. It's, I I think it would definitely change the way teams played offensively because it's very obvious there's one or two guys stuck in that corner for the entirety of an offensive possession now. And I think the NBA probably likes that, right? Because then that opens up the middle and the lane and then you get these dunks and and all these exciting plays, people getting posterized. Posters don't usually happen in the fast break. They happen in like half court sets where the guys are on the wing and somebody didn't Mm -hmm. rotate or they're a second late Mm -hmm. and John Morant's just dunking on your face. That might not happen with or as much uh, without the corner three. What are your thoughts, Calvin, as far (laughs) as as moving the three-point line back or adding a four-point line or a four-point circle like they have in your favorite league, the big three? (laughs) Um, I'm definitely more in favor of moving the line back before I put a four-point shot in there. But I, I don't know if we've officially reached the moment when you move it back. The other problem is... You know, as we're talking about with the corner three, you can't move that anymore, right? So now yeah. you're just moving the top of the key further and further away, but corner the corner three, three stays the same. So uh, I don't know. That's a tough call as well. Um, what was I going to say here? Oh, Ivan, I do know the Hofert brothers. I was actually right in the middle of them, so I, I'm blanking on their names now, but I, I did not play with either of them. One was a couple years younger, and one was a couple years older than me. Okay. Matthew wants to change the court to an hourglass. Sorry, Matthew, I'm not on board <laughs> with your decision. I think that would create way too many collisions in the middle of the court. Yes. And uh, think about trapping. Trapping would have a whole new meaning. Yeah, it would. Uh, if you can just – how many backcourt or, or eight-second violations are there going to be yeah. if you got to get through the center <laughs> of the hourglass? Uh, that would be tough. Um Progressive G's right here. Sometimes you just change things way too many times. Uh, what is it? Kiss? Keep it simple, stupid? Uh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes less is more. And I'm not a big fan of rules. It's hard to, it's hard to keep, uh, keep track of. Progressive G likes moving the line back. Maybe... I see you've taken money from the big rectangle. Yeah, we have. We have rectangles. They're the way to go. If you look at your screen, it's a rectangle. Sure is. What's up, Key Kings? Good to see you here. We're talking about rectangles and hourglasses (laughs) and what size the court should be. No idea how we got here, but uh, we're here. What about a circle court, Calvin? You like circles? Or uh, or, uh, uh, what about an octagon? Uh, No, because then people are just going to want guys to get in fights during the game and <laughs> I won't watch that. Oh, do you have a favorite NBA conspiracy? Barry, take it away. Yeah. Um Patrick Ewing. Should have been a Sacramento King. <laughs> I mean, bottom line. They froze the envelope. You know what? I'm doubling down, Calvin. They froze the envelope and they bent the corner at the same time. 
and uh, it ended up with New York, turned into a Hall of Famer. Uh, there's even a quote from uh, the guy that should not be named, but uh, I'll, I'll name him anyways, uh, David Stern, because he did keep the Kings in Sacramento, and I'm forever grateful based on that. But he said, I'm not going to have Patrick Ewing playing in a barn. Sacramento. Sacramento. And in his defense, that was right after the Kings had moved there, and they were playing in a temporary facility, which is always tough. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, that's my that's my take, and I'm sticking with it. Jimmy I'm Butler. I'm not much of a conspiracy theory guy, so. Jimmy Butler being. I don't really have any of those. MJ's son or LBJ's father being the U.S. government. No, I read an article about LeBron James's actual father, and I think he passed away. He was a star basketball player at their high school uh, and did date his mom for a minute, but LeBron didn't really know any of this for a while. Oh, uh, I got another one for you. Otto Porter Jr. Wilt Chamberlain's son. Wilt Chamberlain's son. And uh, what was the other one? Oh, Tyrese Halliburton, Doug Christie's son. <laughs> Or cousin. I don't know. But uh, if you do look at, at uh, Otto Porter Jr. They do look a lot alike. He looks very close to Wilt. And if you know anything about Wilt, he's got a lot of bullets in the chamber. So it's it definitely His potential. name is an Otto Porter Sr., but yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. the only flaw in this argument. Yeah, that's true, which makes it a better conspiracy <laughs> in my mind. Uh, they did freeze the envelope. Yep, I saw it. It's all on video. Lionel Richie, he does kind of look like him, too. That's funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Good times here. You guys are awesome. We're just getting into these random, random ones. What is your favorite techno peasant? I want to hear your favorite, uh, or is it Jimmy Butler? Conspiracies are cool sometimes when they're not harmful to people. When they are, then it's it's not cool. Yeah, Wilt slept with, I think, 10,000 women. I have his book. Um, I have an autographed copy of his book where he talks about it, but I have not read the book because I don't want to crease the pages. So maybe I can find a digital copy online that I can maybe, read. Yeah, maybe you can listen to Audible, an Audible version of it. Dave Fisdale was seen today at the Doco. I like Dave Fisdale. He was a assistant in Miami, right? Under under Spo, yeah, with LeBron and yep. and all that. Yep. And then what did he take over? He was he, he was the Knicks? Knicks head coach yeah. for a little while. Didn't do much for the Knicks, but I like David a lot. And uh, yeah, Game Six, you got it. And um, there's certain guys in the NBA that just aren't head coaches. Like, as as smart as you are, as as hard as you try, like that's just you're not a running back, you're a wide receiver, or or you're a running back, you're not a quarterback. So I think there are a ton of smart guys in the NBA, um, like Dave Fisdale, that thrive in positions other than head coach, and I'd be happy to have him with Sacramento. Yeah. 10,000. I also don't think you should be judged just based on one stint with one of the most dysfunctional franchises in the NBA. I mean, they're they're better now than they were when yeah. he was there, that's for sure. So what do you think about the Steve Kerr situation, right? Because 
he was a commentator, right? Yeah. And then he had an interview with the New York Knicks and one with the Golden State Warriors. People say that he was using the Knicks as leverage. But what if he had taken that Knicks job instead of the Golden State job? Uh, he probably wouldn't have won three more rings. Do the Warriors? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, that's an interesting situation. I, I think we all have those uh, those times in our life where you're like, look back and you're like, okay, this is this was the the point in the hike where you either go left or you go right, and they have tremendously different outcomes. I bet every day he thinks about that. He's like, I am so happy I took the Warriors coaching job over the New York Knicks coaching job. We never know. Maybe he would be able to turn that team around and attract big-name free agents and, and stuff like that. But uh, yeah. interesting to think about. Marvin Bagley, all-time bust, Hall of Famer. Is there a bust Hall of Fame? Um, I mean, you, we probably could put one together. But I still think it's maybe a little too early to assume that he's a bust. Um, I'm not saying that he's going to make like, you know, 10 all-star teams the rest of his career, but it, it depends on, I guess, how you define a bust and, and what he would have to do to get himself out of that. <laughs> Matthew's still talking Anthony about Anthony Bennett, Greg basketball. Oden. Yeah, absolutely. Those guys for sure. Darko Milicic. Darko Milicic. Um, Sam Bowie, who if you guys don't yeah. know who that is, he's the guy that was picked in front of Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of guys you could put on this list, uh, and most of them were drafted by the Sacramento Kings, yeah. unfortunately. I mean, you can look back at every draft it, that's ever happened, and I'm, I guarantee you'll find a guy picked in the top 10 or 15 um, that you would consider a bust. You think Kwame Brown is a bust? Yeah, I would probably say so. I mean, the dude was taken number one overall. I don't I have no idea what his career numbers are, but six point six and five point five on fifty nine percent shooting. He played he did play hundred games. A lot of games. Yeah, he played for a few teams. Um but when you're picked number one overall, you know, that's that's tough. It's really a tough subject because like it's not your fault you were picked number one overall, right? Like if you would have been you're only control you're only in control of the things you're in control of and that's how hard you play and stuff like that if you were picked number 20 you're probably still going to do or play or or be the same things you were if you were picked 10 or 5 or 1 so it, it's a bust is not always on just the guy being drafted um but as far as Kwame Brown goes he was drafted by the Wizards we know for a fact that Michael Jordan was not a fan of him yeah and Michael Jordan, basically, uh, from the stories from Kwame Brown and all that, like, hated him and tried to expose him. Maybe that was Jordan's uh, form of motivating because we've seen that in the past with him. Um, but, I mean, his best season, 10.9 points per game and uh, 7.4 rebounds, not a block, not a steal. Uh, definitely a solid role player, I guess you could say, on some teams. But not worthy of the number one overall pick. That is for sure. 
Oh, we have a rumor here, Calvin, that uh, Shaden Sharp met with the Kings and then refused to meet with the Detroit Pistons after. Is that a power play or a draft promise? Um, it's a story that I'm not totally sure how true it is or not. And there's going to be 100,000 more of those between now and draft day. It's Very so. hard to make a draft promise this early. Yeah. Um, but I like him a lot. And honestly, if I were to take away every other aspect between him and Ivy, I would say Sharp would probably fit better next to Fox than Ivy because he's not as ball dominant and he shoots the three a little bit better. But there's still all these other question marks around him. Didn't play in college. He's really young. Uh, is he going to get better? You know, so that it's tough to make a draft promise based on one meeting with a guy, especially like the day after you get the number mm-hmm. four pick and you finally know where you're at. And we still don't know if the Kings are even going to keep that pick. So uh, I'd say you're looking a little bit too much into that. Um, and at the same time, who wants to go to Detroit anyways? <laughs> so maybe this has nothing to do with the Sacramento Kings. I think a lot of people are saying that about Sacramento too. <laughs> who are your favorite or your top five favorite NBA analysts? Not like Stephen A. Smith or Skip, but people who have good insight. Oh God, don't even get me started on Skip Bayless. You know, apparently he's friends with Lil Wayne. I could care less. And I saw an, it was a clip of him saying that during the Game 7 loss for the Phoenix Suns, Lil Wayne was sitting courtside, so he got to hear about what happened between Monty Williams and uh, and DeAndre Ayton. Mm-hmm. And so Skip Bayless is on his show like, well, my friend Lil Wayne said that this happened and this happened and – I don't like Skip Bayless at all. However, I do have to say. Yes, he, 100% dislike Skip more than Stephen A. If you guys have, I don't like Stephen A. If you guys have ever watched Cold as Balls, uh, the Skip Bayless one is pretty funny on there. If you have not, it's Kevin Hart's. He's got his own like YouTube show where he sits down with athletes uh, and they sit in ice cold water Um and just talk about random stuff. I love the Odell Beckham one. That one is hilarious. Uh, there's a lot of good episodes. You guys should check it out. As far as NBA analysts go, I mean, just looking at like a list here of, of a couple top guys, it's really hard to choose. I love Chris Webber. Um, I think he does a great job. I, I really did like Steve Kerr. He doesn't do it anymore. I like Charles, Kenny, Shaq. Like, I love watching that show. Uh, Hubie Brown is a good guy and then Mike Breen it's hard for me to name five and then and then we got our guy uh yeah Mark Jones I'm not sure are those do you still consider those guys NBA analysts or are they play-by-play guy like Mike Breen and Mark Jones I think the analysts are more at least in my mind I'm gonna say people like Jalen Rose I love Tim Legler yeah absolutely love Tim Legler. I will listen to him talk about basketball any day of the week. Jeff Van JJ Gundy. Redick is fantastic. I like Jeff Van Gundy. He's a little he's gotten a little bit too much uh to be trying to be like a stand up comedian these days to oh, me. Yeah. I love it. 
I, I think it's great during the show. Him and Mark Jackson, they work really well together. Um, but I, I love Hubie Brown and Tim Legler and J.J. Reddick because those guys keep it just about basketball all the time pretty much. I mean, J.J. can get on a tangent, but that's because he has to deal with guys like Stephen A. and Skip Bayless and all those other idiots. So Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. For me, it's basically anybody not named Skip Bayless, <laughs> Stephen A. Smith, or who's that one dude that I hate from the Warriors broadcast? Oh, they're play-by-play yeah. or their color commentator? Yeah. Oh my I don't even know their God, names. That the Clippers have a horrible broadcast oh, yes. team, too. Also the Clippers. I got to look up this Warriors one. Who's on the Clippers? It's uh, I don't know. I don't Maggette? know their names. Corey they Maggette? just suck. Isn't Corey, Corey Maggette on Corey Maggette was with them, but he has legal troubles now. I think they took him off their broadcast team. He's, like, under investigation for, uh, I don't know, domestic violence or something like that. Really? I, I, that's what I thought. I'm, I'm, uh, it's Bob Fitzgerald. Bob Fitzgerald. Absolutely yep. hate yep. for the oh, Warriors. Oh, Doug Collins is great, too. I, I like Doug Collins a lot. I actually like this because I just was trying to search his name to figure out who it was, and the top article was why the Warriors should replace Bob Fitzgerald and Kalina Azabuki. <laughs> oh, yeah, Fitzgerald is the play-by-play guy. He is so annoying, man. Yeah. So annoying. <laughs> I even, like, read articles from players saying how annoying he was and how he tries to be every – if you're on the Warriors, he tries to be your best friend. And the dude is – he's very smart. He knows his stats. He knows his players, all that yeah. stuff. But the dude is just straight-up annoying. I don't know if anybody's ever watched a Charlotte Hornets local broadcast. Yeah. But their announcers – they're so annoying that they're actually funny. You, you can turn the t like the picture of the TV off and just listen to them talking, yeah. and it sounds like you're at a WWE event, not a basketball game. It's <laughs> hilarious. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I also like the guy from Cleveland. Uh, don't remember his name either, but he's the guy that goes, and LeBron, slam the hammer down. Oh, yeah. That guy's great, man. I like him a lot. They're, they're a lot of fun. There's a lot of good announcers. They're really yeah, are. good. Uh, and then there's those few really yeah, annoying guys. Yeah. Really Yeah, Grant guys. and Jerry were pretty good, though. Yeah, Grant and Jerry. Uh, Matthew says, you guys really need to think outside the basket on this hourglass basketball. It's a good pun there. Yeah, sounds like you need to make your own game uh, and show it to us because I'd love to see it. I'd love to see you convince 10 people to play uh, on an hourglass-shaped court. Maybe you could go to a court by your house with some tape and be like, these are the lines now. <laughs> and record it and show us, because I'd I love to see I'd love to see how that works. Uh, Matthew, they should try it in the G League. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. You guys are awesome. Um, you dislike... Skip more than Stephen A. Cal? Yes, I do. Why? Um, I don't know if I have a, really a good reason for either for not liking either one. I mean, they they both are incredibly annoying. Um, I I believe that as crazy as this sounds, I believe Stephen A. knows slightly more about basketball than Skip Bayless does. Um, I just. To me, Skip Bayless is obviously a guy who... He's a hater. 
Yeah, it, he he realizes that one of the only reasons he is popular is because of how much he hammers LeBron James. So he <laughs> continues to do that over and over again, knowing that what he's saying is incorrect, but he knows yeah. that it gets him viewers. Yeah. Um, and Stephen A. doesn't do that as much about one individual person. So it's fine to think that Jordan is better than LeBron, but to say the things that Skip Bayless says about LeBron James shows me that he's, number one, delusional, and number two, doesn't know a lot about basketball. <laughs> Calvin's saying this because he thinks LeBron James is the best basketball player of all time, and I agree with him. Uh, Stephen A. Smith, to me, is just annoying, and he he yells, he screams all the time, and he's very, very annoying. Yeah, Bill Simmons is also very annoying. Skip Bayless, to me, is not an annoying person, per se. He does have annoying moments, but I agree with Calvin. It's Skip's whole take on LeBron James is the thing that sours me on him because the dude is literally talking out of his ass most of the time. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we get it. You don't like him. That's fine. You get it. But give the guy some credit because he's – the greatest, or if not one of the greatest basketball players of all time, uh, that's the only thing that really kills it for Skip me. Skip Bayless but. might as well be a cartoon character on a real live TV show. Like, he's not – he yeah. just does things because, oh, it's Skip Bayless. He doesn't like LeBron. It's not, oh, let's listen to Skip Bayless talk about basketball. Yeah. It's what is Skip Bayless going to say about LeBron James today? Uh, the he's only a thing cartoon I, character. The only thing I disagree with you is, is I think Stephen A is more annoying. He definitely has his moments, but I, how much of Skip Bayless's show do you actually watch? I don't like, watch. You it. actually yeah. watch Stephen A. Smith a handful Sometimes. of times. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. But well, I don't I mean, watch it for, for him. First, exactly. But yeah. you still watch him. Like if you yeah. would, if you watched, I see every tweet that Skip Bayless releases, and every time it comes out, I think I'm stupider from for reading that tweet. Are you a super follower of Skip Bayless? No, I'm not, but I can't avoid him because I'm on Twitter now. <laughs> <laughs> and he tweets all the time. Yeah. Stephen A. Smith doesn't even tweet all the time. Shout out to ESPN. You guys need to switch up your programming a little bit. It's getting a little lame. It's getting a little old. And honestly, stop putting Stephen A. Smith on the shows that I used to watch because now <laughs> I don't watch them anymore. It's annoying. It's annoying. We've been on a good tangent here talking about uh, analysts. Um, I hope Calvin and I are more entertaining and less annoying for you guys than we feel about some of these guys because yeah, some if, of them if drive If you guys are crazy. looking for me to say crazy things about LeBron James, like, you know, he's not human and all this stuff. <laughs> LeBron's favorite color is pink. <clears throat> You're going to have to go watch Skip Bayless. Weber. Yeah, Weber was awesome. Weber is a great commentator. Very great smart analyst. guy. Hoobie Brown, awesome. Um, I really do like Stan Van Gundy. And as you mentioned, it, it's it's the relationship that he has with, with Mark Jackson, that they just Je play it. Jeff. Yeah, yeah, sorry, Jeff, yeah. as they play Oh, I also really so like well Reggie Miller. I haven't said his other. name yet, but yeah. I like watching Reggie Miller call games. Yep. Doug Collins, yep. Jim Barnett. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't really do it for me me oh my yeah the clippers announcers <laughs> oh my god they're annoying gosh imagine if your name was adam silver and you could never do woodworking i don't get it 
I don't get it either. I, I'm slow. Sorry. Grant and Jerry had to be the best combo. Yeah, they were definitely they were definitely one of the top ones. Uh, Denver Nuggets announcers la- lack basketball IQ and IQ in general. I could see that. Um, what's up, Gothen? You came in at an interesting time. <laughs> uh, we're talking about shapes of the basketball court, whether it should be a circle, an hourglass, a hexagon, a rectangle, and uh, who our least favorite and favorite uh, announcers, commentators are. Uh, let us know your thoughts here. I'm just catching up here on the comments. Uh, Bill Simmons is really annoying, constantly trashing the Kings. Yeah, I mean, they all trash the Kings. Oh, actually, I didn't he throw Matt Barnes everybody. out here. I like Matt Barnes. Um, I think he does a good job. Yeah, and shout out to Matt Barnes for sticking it to Patrick Beverly the yeah, other day yeah. on live television. That was great. And the, the great thing about Matt Barnes and Chris Weber, and, and I could even throw, uh, you know, Mike jo- or sorry Mark Jones in this as well is these guys want the Kings to do well and they understand that the Kings haven't been well but they don't just look at it and be like this team's been bad for 16 years I'm just going to trash everything about the team yeah it, it's not a punching bag for them it's more of like yeah they've been bad this is what they need to do to get better this is what I see this is what I like this is what I dislike versus there are a lot of guys like Bill Simmons and to Calvin's point, like Skip Bayless when it comes to LeBron James or the Kings or stuff like that, they don't have an open mind anymore. Their opinion is already made, it's already set, mm-hmm. and they just continue to spew out the same thing over and over and over <laughs> again. And it doesn't matter to them if things change, right? Yeah. They are stuck on that thought. Bring back Grant Napier. Yeah, tough for him. I, I do have to say, I think he's probably living a better life now. I see his videos. He seems to be in Miami enjoying himself, uh, and uh, he's got no rules now. Having a YouTube channel is pretty cool. It is. Also, remind you guys, everybody that's watching right now, please hit that like button. Please hit that subscribe button. We greatly appreciate it. And everyone that's asking about Vinny, unfortunately, Vinny's not here Uh, He's taking a little bit of time off to uh, work on some other projects. Calvin and I are holding the ship down. Uh, I think he'll be back at the start of next season as far as Royal Rebounds goes, but we will see what happens. But I'll let him know uh, that you guys are all saying hi. He's just coming in about once a week, once every other week to help us make some adjustments and stuff like that. But uh, I'm I'm running it all up here at the front, uh, and I'll prove it to you guys. Check that out. Welcome to Royal Rebounds. (laughs) Just kidding. We're back here. All right. So um, let's see here. What do you think of Colin Cowherd? I'm this mixed. video is going to go cow, uh, viral, Calvin. And we're just going to get like they've ragged on this guy and this guy. And I'm I'm mixed on Colin Cowherd. I I think he is a smart guy. I I like his show. Mm. Um, he has a lot of really really good guests on. I think he's a good interviewer. Um, I think he can get off onto some kind of ridiculous tangents <laughs> too often as I see Techno Peasant talking about the family and fiance related analogies. So I, I'm mixed on him. I think there are definitely people that are a lot worse than Colin Cowherd, but Adam Sliver was not good at woodworking. Oh. Not Adam Silver. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, it, it's hard to to type a joke like that because your brain 
as long as the word has yeah. the first le- first letter and the last letter in the right place, your brain will automatically correct it to the right word every time. So yeah. I did not read sliver at all. And as Calvin was saying, uh, it's also difficult when you are trying to have a conversation. Well, yeah, that too. But Listen to what he's saying, <laughs> read here, pay attention to the camera, and talk to everybody all at the same time. So, oh, man, Jim Rome. Yeah, that's another guy that I didn't like very much. Yeah, I like Jim Rome. Uh, he's got some good takes. He's got some bad takes. But I, I like Jim Rome is burning. I, I watched that show a lot in, back in the day. I watched it because it was on TV. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. All right, guys, we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you guys so much for joining us on another show here. We appreciate you all. Please hit that like button. Please hit that subscribe button. Please show uh, or share this video with all your friends, all your basketball peeps. Hope you guys enjoy watching the game today. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. We will be back on Monday. Um, like I said, I'm going to be traveling, so our setup will be a little bit different. Uh, it's exciting. I think it looks really good. I'm just finishing up uh, this afternoon, uh, so make sure you guys stay tuned for that. Uh, any last words, Calvin? Shout out to Poppy. Dan Lebetard's dad. That's an analyst that I like. Yes. I would have him on the show any day of the week. Oh, man. If we had a banana phone, yeah. I could, oh, it's for you. It's for you. He is hilarious. <laughs> and I got to throw Dan Lebetard out there, too. Uh, Bomani Jones. Love all those guys. No, they're not, like, analysts as far as, like, in-game broadcasts and stuff like that. But sports writers, they all do a wonderful job. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. The bar is closed. Please close out your tabs. And don't forget to tip your bartender.